Hey guys, this is Trevor from Canyon Ridge. Unfortunately, on Sunday we had some technical difficulties while recording the service, so we'll be dropping you in about 10 minutes in. Thanks for listening. The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Address it and change it, change our course, change our direction. And two, if it is true, and we talked also that it is from the unfallible word of God, it is truth. So if it is true that in this time, in this life, in this opportunity given to us, that I could take the resources that God has given to me, the stuff that's in my garage, the the money that's in my bank account, my timing in relationships and my opportunity for relationships, that I could take those natural resources and with the right perspective, with the right attitude, I can use it in such a way that when I get to heaven, it will be translated, be converted to this eternal treasure. You ever gone like to Mexico or to Canada and you had to convert your money? That's what we're talking about, like conversion of money to eternal treasure. It's an incredible reality. And I assume that that treasure in heaven will be spiritual. That it's going to be spiritual things. It's a, a deeper and greater enjoyment of God and his presence. How cool that would be. And this joy and this blessing of being the means, being his hands and feet, being his generosity to the world around us, for caring for the ministry of God, the mission of God, for caring for the needs of the poor and the needy, for surrendering my life, pushing forward the gospel. Maybe there's some, some tangible treasure. Like maybe we have a little trophy case or something. I don't know. Never been there, but that'd be kind of cool. Like how, how your mom has a shrine for you. It's like one of those. It's <laughs> good. So I want to I spend some time looking at this. So what we'll do, we'll, we'll read through it, and we'll, we're going to look at a lot of supporting verses as well. So we're going to jump around the Bible. Um, if you want to flip around with me, you can, or you can just follow along on the screen. This is what we read through last week. I'll just read it again for context. This is Matthew 6, 19 through 24, Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus talking. Verse 19, do not lay up treasure for yourselves, treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I've known this verse my entire life. I grew up in church here. I've literally gone to church here my entire life. I remember, and I told this to our community group, I remember like drawing a picture in Sunday school. I'm so old, I used to call it Sunday school. But I remember like coloring this treasure in heaven picture and my Sunday school class was like in this little tiny attic up there behind the worship center. And the pastor at the time used to always get angry because you put a bunch of, you put 12 kids in a little tiny room connected to the worship center and they make a lot of noise and they disrupt the service. So I remember 
storing up treasures in heaven, but it wasn't until recently, till I really had to study this scripture to be able to present it and preach it and teach it, that God has been doing this, this deep work in me and challenging me and changing my perspective. It's like one of those Romans 12.2 moments. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And so all of my influences on how I use my resources, use my abilities, use my material comes from the great American dream, right? Where it's more and more stuff, collecting newer, bigger, shinier, all for me. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the way we do that is by getting into the word of God, letting it speak to us and changing our perspective. And so my hope is that it does that for you as well, that we in this life can use everything that God gives us to leverage that for the gospel. That's what it's all about, for his glory and his name being made known. So to first illustrate this, uh, let's compare and contrast a couple guys that are in the Bible. The first guy we read about in Luke chapter 12, he doesn't have a name. He's just called the rich fool, which is an unfortunate name for him. But this is, <laughs> this is the parable of the rich fool. And this is a guy who's extremely productive, and we applaud him for his productivity. This guy was given an opportunity and he, American, dreamed it, right? He, he made the most of this opportunity. And his plan was to capitalize on this and store up his treasure on earth, if you will, store up this stuff just for himself. And he must have fallen asleep one night as he was drawing some plans and some blueprints to draw up bigger barns and bigger silos for his grain and bigger storage containers, and store up all this stuff for himself that God had given him to steward. And eventually that, that night, he, he died just like out of nowhere. Just boom, this guy's dead. His, his life is over. And God speaks to him in this moment. We could read it in Luke 12, verse 20. God called him that night and said, You fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? He's saying the stuff that you think is yours, the stuff that you're storing up for yourself, well, now you're out of the picture. So whose stuff will it be now? And that's a great question, I think, for us to ask ourselves as we're walking through our basements and our second garages and looking in our, uh, you know, spare bedroom closets and reorganizing our storage containers and attics, putting up all of our Christmas stuff away, right? We should ask ourselves, whose stuff will this be? All this extra stuff. I think sometimes we don't even realize how blessed we are by God, by how much stuff we have. I know that the point of clarity to recognize how much stuff you have is when you move. You familiar with, with that? Like, I didn't even know I had this much stuff. It doesn't fit in one U-Haul. When, uh, right when I graduated from, from college, I did what most recent college graduates do. I got a manual labor job, right? And uh, I worked for this company called Two Men in a Truck, which was the name of the company, the vision of the company, and the mission of the company is two dudes in a truck. And so, yeah, we, that's not a picture of me and anyone that I know, but uh, it is on Google Images. So... Uh, yeah, I worked out of the station in Redmond, and we covered really the east side. So well-off people, well-off families for the most part. Bellevue, Kirkland, Redmond. 
And one move in particular sticks out above all the others. And the reason being is because it was a 15-hour move. Now, I don't know labor and industries. Like, I never reported it, but that can't be right, right? Manual labor for 15 hours straight. And it was this... (laughs) This lady, who was a single lady, was retired, and she was moving from one mansion, and I kid you not, one mansion, kind of across town to this other mansion, and it was single lady, box after box after box after box. I could go on for the rest of our 30 minutes together after box. It's incredible. And I was thinking, like, whose who's stuff will this be one day? Because I'm not going to move it out. Whose stuff will this be? She actually moved into this um, this. Uh, golf course area. She didn't golf. She didn't like golf, but you had to have a membership to live on the golf course, and it costs $100,000 for a membership for this golf course. And then she had to buy the house on top of it. But she did tip us like 40 bucks. So, I mean, 15 hours, 40 bucks. Do the math. I made better tips when I worked at Coldstone in high school. And I got free ice cream. So, way better. Whose who's stuff will this be? Let's continue in Luke 12. Listen to this. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. On earth, we could say that, right? Lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, what does it mean to be rich toward God, as Jesus says here? Well, in this case, he's talking about tangible, physical things. In this guy's case, it could have been corn from his cornfields or cattle from his cattle fields. In our case, it would be our, yeah, cattle fields. In In our case, it would be tangible resources that God has given us, right? So he's talking about our money and our resources, material things that God has given us to steward, and he's showing how we can stack up that stuff just for ourselves, just for our own indulgence, thinking that it's all about us, it's all for us, it's all ours, when in actuality, God has entrusted us that stuff to steward for his purposes. And now in this guy's case, he's dead. It's no longer his stuff. And he hasn't been rich toward God whatsoever. And that's kind of a crazy concept when I think about it. Like, I can be generous toward God with my stuff. Like, how does that... Like the one who puts the sun in the sky, the one who built Mount Rainier by vocal command, like Siri, the one who keeps the earth rotating around the sun in this perfect dance so we don't freeze to death and we don't burn to death. Like that God wants me to give him out of my stuff. But that's exactly what Jesus commands us to do. That's what God commands us to do. And it has everything to do with, like we talked about last week, who is your master? Who is your master and what or where are you living for? So we'll contrast the rich fool with someone in the Bible who does have a name. And his name is Moses. And we'll read about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you don't know the background on Moses, I'll I'll try to summarize it really quickly. You guys seen The Prince of Egypt? It's a good movie, yeah. I, I, I researched The Prince of Egypt came out 20 years ago. So that makes me feel old. <laughs> so, so Moses, uh, in, in order so Moses wouldn't be killed as a child, Moses' mother sent him down the Nile River in this basket. And Moses was found and rescued by Pharaoh's daughter and was raised as a royal prince, raised in the palace, hence the Prince of Egypt. So that's 
Yeah, that makes sense. But when he was grown, he realized that he didn't belong in the palace. He was, he was actually part of God's chosen people, the Israelites, who were currently enslaved and treated poorly. And so Moses left the palace and pursued to lead his people to the promised land, lead the Israelites to the promised land, forsaking the palace and all that of the Pharaoh. So notice what it says about Moses here in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses had this reward in his mind, this greater treasure of a promised future that was driving his decisions, making life-altering changes, value-shaped decisions. And much like Moses, our desire should be that, for eternal-driven decisions, Christ-based decisions should motivate us to use what God has given us to steward for his glory. So we're talking about purposeful actions, right? Purposeful actions, investments of time, investments of money, investments in others. Purposeful actions through faithfulness for God's purposes can be turned into eternal treasures in heaven. So to be practical with our remainder of time this morning, we're just going to look at three ways to do this. This is three how-tos of laying up treasure in heaven There's a lot more in the Bible. I encourage you to do some research for yourself. Maybe you can talk about it in your community groups this week. That's not one of the discussion questions, but I'll throw it out there as a bonus. And we're going to try to define together some actual behavior, some real-life action as it pertains to this. So the question of the day is, how do I store up treasure in heaven? Cool. You're following? Great. Uh, First of all, number one, I can lay up treasure in heaven through purposeful acts of generosity. We looked at 1 Timothy chapter 6 in our community groups as well this past week, and I want to revisit that a little bit more. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor, and he was responsible for a congregation. Most likely it was Ephesus at this time. And Paul knew that there was no middle class in this church. You had the rich people, and you had the poor people, and you had nothing in between. And Paul writes some interesting things here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. We'll start there. As for the rich in this present age, charge them, which means to encourage them greatly, right? Charge them not to be haughty, that would be proud, not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And that's great. I love that that's included there. That it's, it's okay, God is saying it's okay to enjoy what he has given us. If God has blessed you to enjoy some really awesome, great things, you don't have to feel guilty about that. That's, that's okay. God's desire is not to withhold from us. God himself is a God of generosity. Do we agree? So if, if God has given you wealth, you can enjoy it as long as you enjoy it with the right perspective, with the right heart, And as Paul continues, verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves, there's our phrase, as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold 
of that which is truly life. Now, I don't think I can explain every phrase in depth on what Paul is trying to communicate here, but it looks to me like he's talking about purposeful generosity with the material wealth that God has blessed us with. Paul is telling Timothy to charge the wealthy people, and for all practical purposes, this is a room full of wealthy people. Uh, I was reading an article this week that said if, if your household income, so not just you, not just your spouse, but if your household income is $10,000 or more per year, then you are in the top 84% in the entire world for household incomes. If you increase that number to $50,000 a year, family income $50,000 or more a year, you're in the top 99% in all of the world. So, so Paul is charging Timothy to charge us, who are the rich in this present age, to do a couple things. First of all, he said, don't be proud of your wealth, right? Don't, don't flaunt it. Don't, don't be haughty about it. Don't make sure that people know how much money you have. Don't be proud about it. Number two, not to set your hopes in the uncertainty of riches. It's a temptation for us, Paul says. In, in Proverbs, there's a verse about talking about how easy it is for our wealth to sprout wings and fly away. I don't know if you've ever seen that happen. Maybe someone close to you or maybe you've seen it in a company or business. It's easy to make a bad investment or the stock market changes and all of a sudden there goes all of the wealth. And Paul says, watch it. Don't, don't put your trust in riches. Don't put your trust in that for your security, but rather put your trust in God who has given you those things for your enjoyment. And three, this is kind of where we'll live for a second, there to do good and be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. Now, I don't think that means like a, a dribble of good works or a drooling of good works. This is to be rich, right? Be rich in good works. He's saying that these people are to be known for their good works in the sense of it's a characteristic for which they live their lives. And you might be asking the question, well, if I am truly rich in good works, then won't I give away all my stuff? And then there'll, there'll be nothing left for me. If I just give and give and give, there'll be nothing left. And Paul addresses that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We're not going to go there because we have enough verses to get to later. But I encourage you to read that at home this week, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And there, Paul says that when you give with the right motive... God continues to give to you so that you can continue to keep giving from the right motivation. God will increase your supply as you give, and then you can continue to give, and God will continue to resupply. And, and hear, hear me on this. People can distort this. We talked about it a little bit ago when we talked about giving like the hypocrites. People can distort this into the health and wealth gospel that says, give so that you will get. But that's absolutely the wrong motive here. And we read that in 2 Corinthians, that we're to give out of a faithfulness to God as a joy for who God is and what he wants to do, as a response in worship to him, and then God will resupply. So what does this look like practically? How can we richly give to good works? Well, the most practical way is one that we've talked about a lot before. It's just through planned, consistent, faithful 
tithing. And you might say, Trevor, you are shameless. You are sh- I, you're just wanting the tithes to go up at Canyon Ridge. And I would respond to that by saying, yes, I am. <laughs> Not the shameless part, but the second, second part. But that's more about my love for you than it is really anything that has to do with me. I would be like Timothy in this scenario here. I'm charging you. I mean, I want you to store up treasure as a good foundation for your future, as it says here. I want you to experience the blessing of God through purposeful, generous giving. I want you to take hold of what is truly life, as Paul writes. I want you to live according to God's call and purposes for your life. I want the most for you, and I also want the most for our church and for our community. I want our church to reach its full capacity and have the resources needed to impact this community with the love of Christ, operating at full capacity. I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of such a generous church where everyone is committed to generous acts of purposeful giving? Just think about even our own space, our own capacity, what could be accomplished, what that could look like. Think about the missionaries we could send out like North and Amanda Katie in Papua New Guinea. Right? Just translating the word of God to people's native tongues. How many more missionaries we could support and send out? Think about the awesome children's ministry that we could, we could build. We could fix up the student center and make it an awesome spot. Make it a destination for kids in this community to want to come, to have a good time, but also to learn more about Jesus. We could develop our children's and youth ministries to be more effective and efficient for reaching kids in this community. We could pay the pastor's salaries more so they don't have to be bivocational or even volunteer, giving up their time freely. We could support them, have full-time staff to support the congregation more, to lead through vision and mission to reach further out into our community. We could run more courses like Alpha, invite the community in to explore faith, or run the marriage course, or run parenting courses, give them full meals free to them, and increase the influence we have in this community. We could get more partnerships like the Tacoma Rescue Mission and the Puyallup Food Bank, maybe even get into the schools and bless them, just love the people around us, and all the extra things that we would be able to do to honor the Great Commission and go make disciples of Jesus. Who wouldn't want to be part of a church like that? Paul says to Timothy that when we're rich toward God, done with the right attitude from joy, worship, generosity, that perspective. We don't boast about it. We don't blow our trumpet like the hypocrites. We're storing up treasure for ourselves in the future. And that can be accomplished just by consistent, faithful, Sunday morning tithes and offerings in the church. So number one is purposeful acts of generosity. Secondly, and closely related to that, is through serving those in need. Let's jump over to Luke chapter 14 to reinforce this. This is kind of like Sunday school. We're getting a bunch of stories of the Bible. (laughs) It's another parable that Jesus isn't specifically teaching about storing up treasure in heaven, but says something very interesting that I want to look at in our context today. This is in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12, and he's talking about throwing a dinner party or throwing a banquet of some sort. This is Jesus 
When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. He's saying it's easy to stack the invitation list and get people there that you know, can bless you back and they can invite you to their dinner party and so on, and you could be repaid by that. Verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. They won't repay you because they just can't repay you. They have nothing to give you in return. The only thing that they may give you is inconvenience, or it could be awkward or uncomfortable, right? But look, finishing that out, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Proverbs chapter 19, 17 continues this, defines it a little bit more concise. It says, whenever or whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So when I give to Christ by supporting, giving to someone who is in need, who could do nothing for me in return, it says God does the repaying. And this is a, this is a tough one to understand because, I mean, the, the poor, the needy, they overwhelm us, don't they? I mean, getting, getting off the freeway, getting on the freeway, downtown Tacoma, downtown Puyallup, any sports game, I mean, really wherever you go, you, you feel like you're surrounded by the needy. I mean, you could def- devote your entire life, and some people have, to giving to the poor and to the needy. And we could feel so overwhelmed, like, is it a good choice to give, or should I not give, should I give money, should I do something else? And we ask ourselves this question, like, practically, what can I do, and what, what should I do? Now, I don't know all the answers. to answer. I don't know how to help us completely answer that tension. But I know that it starts by noticing these people and understanding God's love for them. It starts there. And then serving them in a practical way as God will lead you. Of course, when, when I write something like this in my sermon, God is going to give me an opportunity to back up my words, right? <laughs> Isn't that the way it always happens? So it's been a, a busy week for me. I have a lot of stuff going on, and it was kind of a shorter week. And just trying to get the sermon written and leading worship and doing all this other stuff that's going on in my life. Pastors have lives outside of the church, too. We don't live here. Um, and so Thursday night before worship practice, like working on this, working on my talk. And if you remember Thursday, it was like the rains were pouring on Thursday. It was just dumping outside. And a homeless guy came to the door of the church. And his name was Christopher, and he was just drenched. He was cold. All he had on him was, like, a couple tattered, like, jackets and a backpack, and that was it. And looked like, I mean, he hasn't eaten a meal in a really long time. And I was really busy. <laughs> like, I had a lot of stuff. And then I thought back to this point that I'm talking about. Like, I could not stand in front of the congregation with a clear conscience and say, do this. You're going to be inconvenienced and then not do anything about it. And so I invited him in, and it's, it's really cool that we've set up, you know, that, that food and essentials pantry out there. You guys don't know how much that's, that's used, so thank you for those who just give to that. Like, that supports the needy alone. And so I walked him over there, and this dude who just looked like he was so beaten down by life, I mean, his eyes just widened. He was just so blown away by 
the generosity of us, which I deflected to the generosity of God. And he got all this food, got stuff that he needed. And I warmed up some soup because he didn't, he didn't, he's homeless. So I warmed up some soup in the microwave, got him a hot cup of coffee, and we sat here uh, in the cafe and talked for about, <clears throat> I don't know, 12, 15 minutes or so, just as he ate his soup and talked about his story. And he's misplaced from California. Everyone in his family has either abandoned him or has passed away and just complete hopelessness. And so being able to share God's love and God's hope and back that up with soup and coffee I mean, it was, it was a really great conversation. And so I don't, I don't share that story to say, hey, look at me. <laughs> I share that as just a, an example of a practical way to serve the needy as God leads you in what other, whatever capacity that looks like. It's never going to be convenient to serve others. That's, that's serving. <laughs> that's, that's lowering yourself and serving others. But Jesus says that we're to invite people to our table. Invite people into our space and share the blessing and the hope that we have through God. The third and and final aspect uh, for today is we can lay up treasure in heaven through sacrificial work of the ministry. And if you're taking notes on this, next to that in parentheses, or you could put and for the gospel, also for the gospel. It's kind of related, but I didn't want to make a really long point. So we can, sacrificial work of the ministry or for the gospel. And we're going to go all into this concept, and then we're going to back off of it a little bit, okay? So just over 60 years ago, just over 60 years ago, five missionaries, uh, five dudes in there, I wanted to say five guys, but then you guys are thinking about food, and I already blew it. Uh, five, five guys in their 30s uh, left their, their wives and their young children and stood on the banks of the Curare River in Ecuador. And they, they went there to, to, to share the gospel with this native tribe. And they had been building rapport with this tribe over some time. But on January 8th, 1956, so we just passed the 62-year anniversary, January 8th, 1956, they stood there and let the Alca Amerindians fill them with spears and with arrows, even though they had firearms on their sides. But because of the gospel, because of God's love and God's grace, they yielded their lives to the Alka Amerindians. And because of this incredible sacrifice for the gospel, the Alkas have actually become a reached people group. The Alkas are now Christians, and the Alkas are now sending missionaries from their tribe to other tribes to tell them about the love of Christ and Jesus. Maybe you've seen the movie End of the Spear. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch it. It's, it's all about this. But because of these five men, because of these five men, because they were willing to be true love and true grace to these Alka Amerindians, one day we will be in heaven at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. And on the left, we'll be able to see these five martyrs and on the right, we will be able to see the tribes of the Alka. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool. And I, I suspect these guys received a treasure in heaven for giving of their lives. And maybe the biggest of all is the joy in knowing that their sacrifice, their sacrifice impacted others' eternities. That tribe's eternities, the sons and their sons and daughters and their daughters, 
for all of eternity. And I imagine if you, you ask the wives of these men and the young children who lost their husbands and who lost their fathers, they would say that that grief and pain was worth it because of the advancement of the gospel. And that we're not all called to be missionaries, praise the Lord. We're not, we're not all, car, all car, called to be missionaries. And likely, we're not going to physically have to give up our lives for the sake of the gospel and be martyrs. But in some sense, we are called to give up our lives for the gospel. Right? We're supposed to die to self, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus and his command to be his followers. We're also called to use our talents and abilities, the things that he has gifted us to be able to do in this life to advance the gospel. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as if for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. One more scripture. I know it's a lot. This is more topical than I'm used to because we've been in this series for a while. But one more verse I want to look at as it pertains to this. So that was, that was where we le- leaned in and said that was everything. Now we're going to back up a little bit. It's talking about using our talents in a way to push forward the gospel. And this is Matthew chapter 25. It's one more parable. This is the parable of the talents. And it's the story of this master who goes on a journey and he has three servants. And he gives talents, which was a form of currency in that day. He entrusts talents to his servants. To one servant, he gave five talents. To another servant, he gave two talents. And another servant, he gave one talent. And this parable is about, it's a parable about using what God has given us for the ministry, for the gospel, for the work of God. And so the guy with five talents and the guy with two talents, they invest it and they double their, their investment. The dude with one talent, we know about him. He just buries it in the sand. And... Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 25, verse 21, to those who invested what they were given by God. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We talked about that last week, right? Who are you going to serve? Money as your master or God as your master? As God entrusts us with talents and abilities, giftings, and he burdens us for the gospel. However, that might take shape in your life. That might be changing your schedule. That might be going on missions. That might be serving locally through the abilities that God has given you. As you do those things, and as the gospel is your motivation, you will be blessed because of your sacrificial work for the ministry. And as as the word says, we can experience the joy of of the mat, we can enter into the joy of the master, being his hands and feet, reaching out into our community, and experience the joy of God. So the last, we'll wrap it up here. Last thing, last point of the day. This is a, a fourth point, I guess. Uh, my my last thought is it's kind of a it's culturally not relevant anymore. But my last thought is YOLO. It's not big anymore, but it's just kind of. Came to my mind as I was writing this. If you don't know what YOLO is, Pat, I got you. Um, <laughs> YOLO means you only live once. So, so younger people in the room. I'm not younger people in the room. If, that's you. That's you. If if God has spoke to you this morning, realize 
What a great opportunity you have in front of you. The time that God will be willing to give to you if you continue to invest in his kingdom and invest in that work over time. Think about the difference that you can make for the gospel and for God. And non-younger people, (laughs) you have time. And today, today could be your opportunity to make life-altering, value-shaped decisions in your life. To alter your life and be driven by the eternal, driven by the things of God, to force lovingly his gospel into the community around us. I really needed this teaching in my life. Like I said before, it's, it's impacted not just material things, but that everything that God has given me, my story even, my struggles, the difficult things in my life, that we could leverage those as opportunities for the gospel and to share God's love to the people around us. That's what we're called to do. For to be followers of Christ, that's what followers of Christ do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and that out of that grace, you sent us Jesus. You sent us Jesus. We recognize the power of the gospel that you're wanting to build a church in us, building a church in your people's lives that you use to accomplish your purposes on earth. So please show us how to be a church at Canyon Ridge that is driven by eternity, driven by the gospel that we may lay up treasures in heaven. And God, I ask that you open up our eyes and soften our hearts. Help us to be empty vessels that are fit for your use. And so that that in this year, in 2018, we can get our priorities straight and live for eternity. So I ask God that you show us what that looks like and show us what that takes to do that. Give us courage to make changes where we need to make changes in our life. Give us grace in those areas too.